Master Vikesha. We will continue with that chapter, the conversation of the Master with the devotees of the Brahma Samaj. As we were discussing in the last class, it was the song which Sri Ramakrishna was singing while traveling with the Brahma devotees on the Ganges. He was just uh, on boat, he was just traveling on the Ganges and along with the Brahmo devotees and where this conversation was going on and on the, in the midst of the conversation to reinstate the point on which he was discussing, he sang a song. And that's the song which we were discussing in the last class. But come, let us go for a walk, O mind to Kali, the wish fulfilling tree. And there beneath it gather the four fruits of life. So that the four fruits of life, as we were discussing, are the four Purusharthas, the Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. That's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is indicating, the song is indicating that the four, four fruits of life means the four Purusharthas, the four goals of life, the Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. That's the thing which, if you are asking to the, if you are asking as a boon to the mother, she has the she has the power to grant the boon to fulfill all our purusharthas, the dharma, artha, kama, moksha, of your two wives, dispassion and worldliness. This dispassion and worldliness. So they are always opposite. The pravritti and nivritti. So why they have spoken out of these two wives? Because they're just like the rival wives. They're always inimical to each other. So that's the two wives, which has been spoken of as the dispassion and worldliness. And of the two bring dispassion along because dispassion's son is discrimination, which can show you the way to the truth. So that's why uh, of the two choose the dispassion while going to the wish fulfilling tree. Otherwise, if you take the other, the one who is worldliness, then the wish fulfilling tree, whatever you ask, that's the thing it is going to grant. So it will make you more entangled in the worldly way of life. So don't take the worldliness along with you when you're going to the wish fulfilling tree. Take dispassion. If you have to ask for boon from the God, ask for nivritti, for liberation. Don't ask for all the worldly uh, goals of life because that in no way is going to give us ultimate fulfillment that will enter 
in our journey in this chakra, in this will of Agyana, Avidya Kama Karma, as Shankaracharya says. From ignorance comes desire, the desire leads to more action, and this cycle goes on and on, birth after birth, if you are in the pursuit of worldliness. So never go for the worldliness, go for dispassion. So along with dispassion, when you go to the wish-fulfilling tree, the son of dispassion is the discrimination. And the discrimination, from the discrimination, the truth is going to be revealed. So take dispassion along with you. So when will you learn to lie or mind in the abode of blessedness with cleanliness and defilement on either side of you? So after speaking of his two wives as the dispassion and worldliness, again, he's speaking of two wives as previously he was speaking of choosing one and leaving out the other. And now he's speaking two wives is cleanliness and defilement. And there is no question of choosing one and renouncing the other. With both, you can continue in your life's journey. Why? Because when you are established in the, in the truth, before you have established in the truth, there is a question of discrimination. There's a question of choosing. But once you have realized the truth, then the so-called cleanliness, defilement, everything falls off. You transcend them. You see the world as a projection of the divine. So there's no question of liking something and disliking something. Before, before the realization, the question of renunciation do come. But once you're renounced, the world appears to be the projection of the divine. So there's no question of rejecting something as unholy. So everything becomes the projection of the divine. Everything becomes sanctified. So that's why he's saying that in the song, what he's saying, when will you learn to lie, O mind, in the abode of blessedness? So when you are already lying in the abode of blessedness, then there is no question of renouncing something. So that's why when you are in the abode of blessedness, then with the cleanliness and defilement on either side of you, you can, you can just be with them, both of them. So only when you have found the way to keep these wives contentedly under a single roof, will you behold the matchless form of Mother Shama. So it's only in the realization for the realization is possible, not before that. So ego and ignorance, your parents instantly banish from your sight. So our so-called this limited individuality is the product of the ignorance. The product of ignorance is ego, and that enters in our this limited sense of individuality. So in that sense, they are our parents, the ignorance and the ego. So banish them from your side till as long as they are associated with us, as long as we are associated with the ignorance, with ego. There is no question of enlightenment. So banish them from your side. And why they are parents? Because it is the ignorance and the ego which has resulted in our this limited individuality. So that's why they're the parents. And as long as they're there, there cannot be any spiritual illumination. So banish them from your side. And should delusion seek to drag you to its home, manfully cling to the pillar of patience. So that's the thing. In the spiritual journey, once you have decided to no more deal with the worldly way of living, but they are not going to leave you as because of the long association, we find 
that though we don't want them, but they are not going to leave us. We have pampered them for such a long time. If you have a domesticated any pet and you decide not to take care of it, but as it has been pampered for such a long time, it's not going to leave you. Those who have the habit of feeding the birds, if they suddenly decide, I won't feed them anymore, as they've been pampered for such a long time, they will come back. So then what is required? Patience. That they will come back. But I have already resolved that I'm not going to yield to them. I'm not going to pamper them anymore. I'm not going to nourish them anymore. I have domesticated them for long. So naturally they will, they have an expectation. They will come back, but I have to have patience till they get the feedback that I am not going to yield anymore and they start falling off. So that's why manfully cling to the pillar of patience, tie to the post of unconcern, the goats of vice and virtue. You're not bothered, neither you're bothered about, bothered about vice nor about virtue. As Swami Vivekananda used to say, golden chain is also a chain. In this life, sometimes with all our virtues, we want to project ourselves as a very nice person to the world. And that's also a type of subtle bondage. As Swami Vivekananda used to say, that the last thing which binds us is the expectation for name and fame. It may be, uh, it may be possible for us to go beyond the lures of this lust and gold, the lust and wealth. Kamini Kanchan, as Ramakrishna used to say, but it's very difficult to get rid of name and fame. And sometimes we find that all our good qualities binds us with the expectation of name and fame. So that also, that virtue is also then like a golden chain. Vice, of course, we need not explain. So we have to be unconcerned to both this virtue and vice because, because both of them binds us. It's our goal is just to be illumined, to get beyond this limited individuality, to merge in that ultimate consciousness, which we call God or whatever name we give it. So we want to be one with that. So for that, the basic criteria is to go beyond this limited individuality with which all these vice and virtue are tagged. So we have to get rid of them with unconcern. I'm not bothered about them. They may come to my life. Name and fame come to my life because of all the good things I'm doing, but I am in no way attached to them. I'm not attached to the vice, not to the word is the virtue. I do good just as a karma yoga. It ends there without any expectation, I do. So when I say I go beyond virtue, that doesn't mean that I won't be doing virtuous thing. I will be doing virtuous acts. That should become a spontaneous way of my living. But I shouldn't have any expectation out of that. Knowing very well that the God with all the good qualities implanted here, it is the God who has implanted in me and I am just the instrument in his hand. Whatever I am doing is actually the God's work through me. So that's how I have to conduct my life. And that's how I can go beyond the vice and virtue. So killing them with the sword of knowledge, if the rival, if the sword of knowledge, as we were indicating that this, if I am the Atman, I am the Brahman, anything which is associated with this limited sense of individuality, that has to be 
got rid of. So I have to kill them with the sword of knowledge, the sword of discrimination, the sword of knowledge speaks of my identity with absolute Raham Brahmasmi. So with that knowledge, I get rid of all my expectations, which entails from the virtue. And also I all the inclinations towards the wise, I get rid of them by constantly being aware of my the real sense of identity. That's my identity with the Atman, with the Brahman. So with the children of worldliness, your first wife, plead from a distance. That plead from a distance means be indifferent, don't hate them. Hatred is a negative attraction. The thing which you hate, you think of it more intensely than the thing which you love. So don't hate them from a distance with indifference. Plead them. Don't so that they, you, you don't get associated with them. And if they will not listen, drown them in wisdom seek. And if you find that there, that this all these instincts are too strong, there you have to apply the force of your willpower. There you have to. And with that, you have to get rid of all the worldly entanglements. So drown them in the wisdom seek. How to get rid? By constantly asserting yourself. Assert, asserting, and that's the wisdom, that you are the Atman, you are the Brahman, you're the son of God. How can all those petty things cling to you? So that's the way you drown them. Says Ram Prashad, if you do as I say, you can submit a good account of mine to the king of death. The idea is that with all our worldly actions, whatever we have done in this life, good or bad, with that, that's the account which we have in our account, we have all those good, this vice and virtue. And based on that, the king of death will be deciding our course after the death and the, our transmigratory uh, journey will be decided by the king of death. But if you can really submit a very good account where you find that you are beyond vice and beyond virtue, the result can be generated only when anything you're doing with expectation when you're beyond that, all the expectations have fallen off. Even the yama doesn't have the power to decide your this destiny, your course of this trans transmigration. He also doesn't have the power. So you are, that's how being released from the clutch of the king of death. So that's what Ram Prashad is saying. If you do so, as I say, you can submit a good account to mine, to the king of death. And I shall be well pleased with you and call you my darling. So that's the thing Ram Prashad is saying, that such person alone is the one who is my own. It is not with whom I am biologically related. As per my blood link is concerned, as my blood relations are concerned, they're not my own. My real own are with whom I am spiritually attuned. So they are my own. So those who have can submit a very good account to the king of death means those who have really led their life in such a way that they could transcend the dualities in the form of vice and virtue to be always established in the self. They alone, alone can uh, submit that good account. And with them only, I want to be identified as my keen and kith. That's my spiritual family. So that's the thing which Ram Prashad is indicating. So that's the song which in the last class we were discussing. So we had a very quick recap, re recapitulation 
of what that song means. And now Sri Ramakrishna proceeds with his discussion. So in the song, the main theme was that I have to first discriminate between the evil and between the good and between the evil and always resort to the good as in the Upanishads they have spoken of that in front of us there are two ways one is the srayas, one is the prayers prayers means pleasurable and srayas means preferable most of the time we are deluded in this life with the prayers taking it to be the srayas we take the pleasurable to be the preferable Sreyascha prayascha manushya meta tau samparitya vivinakti dhira. So the dhira, the wise one, should very carefully discriminate between the sreya and the prayer, between the preferable and the pleasurable, and choose the preferable and live out the sut, the pleasurable. What is the preferable? There's a sreya, there's a way towards nivritti. So after speaking that, now Sri Ramakrishna will be saying that once you have went to the realization, now there is no question of renouncing anything. Now from that elevated standpoint where you are always attuned with the divine, you can now enjoy the world. Nothing can now cling to you. You can be in the world, but still be above it. So that's the idea which Sri Ramakrishna will be speaking now. That why shouldn't one be able to realize God in this world? King Janaka had such realization. And once you have such realization, then Ramakrishna, now Ramprasad described, as we saw in the last song, the world as a mere framework of illusion, as if you have to renounce. That the Bengali song is, This world is a framework of illusion. But if one loves God, he loves God's hallowed feet. Then, now very interesting, when Ram Prashad was writing all those songs, he was an illumined soul, but he was a shakta. In those days, there was a very nice, what is a very sweet fight between these various, uh, the believers of Krishna and the believers of the Shakti or the Kali. The shaktas and the Vaishnavas in Bengal, they always used to have this fighting. So when Ram Prashad, the Shakta, he was a realized soul. He, he was writing the song with his devotion with, off, as an offering to the mother Kali. Now there was another Vaishnava saint who was contemporary to Ram Prashad. Now he used to always, just as they were from the two different denominations, to tease Ram Prashad to contend him always used to write parody of his songs. So when Ram Prashad wrote that this world is a, this what you said is a framework of illusion. And as a parody in the same tune, with the same rhythm, this Aju Goshai, his name, this Vaishnava's name was Aju Goshai. He wrote a parody. So that's the parody which Sri Ramakrishna is relating to. That when Ram Prashad told that this A Jagot Dhokar Tati, he told the just opposite to that, uh, Aju Goshai wrote. What he wrote? That A Jagot Mojar Kuti, not Dhokar Tati, Mojar Kuti is the mansion of mirth. 
আমি খাই দাই আর মজা লুটি does that what you say that the the wealth the lucre of the of running the kingdom the, uh, the, that that is entitled to the king so but at the same time he is dispassionate detached to everything though it appears apparently that he is enjoying that all the things that the world can give us is as if he's enjoying but he's above them totally detached so that's the idea the janak raja mahateja he was having tremendous strength that though he was in the world nothing could touch him so that's the idea janak raja mahateja tarwa chilo kishetruti she je edik odik dudik rekhe khe chilo dudher bati that has been translated in the gospel as janaka's might was unsurpassed what did he lack of the world or of the spirit both the worlds he was the king as if for both the worlds he was the king of the so called this world of this uh, senses and he was the king as he was a realized soul he was the king of the world of the spirit so what did he lack of the this world or the spirit holding to one as well as the other he drank his milk from a brimming cup so he was enjoying the world apparently but he was totally detached why because he is realized so he nothing can he knows very well that what is a framework of illusion when you know anything as a framework of illusion then only you can enjoy just the way when i am watching the movie i am watching tragedy why should i watch a movie which has which is a tragic movie why should i watch because i know but it is something which is a mere projection it's a it belongs to the world of virtual reality so it's a matter of my entertainment though i cry along with the characters in the tragic movie but i still i still uh, am always willing to see it because it gives me a type of entertainment what's entertainment why it's entertainment because i know it's something which is virtual it's not real that gives me if i was really enjoying someone's sorrow if my neighbors was sad and i was just relishing the way i enjoy a virtual movie i would have been called as a sadist but i willingly go and see a tragic movie because it do entertains me so when you know this world as a framework of illusion then only you can enjoy then only you can drink the milk from a dreaming dreaming cup you can enjoy it to its entirety because after all you know it's a framework of illusion so very nicely aju goshai wrote a parody of ramprasad so you find that though he is writing a parody but he is actually speaking something uh, which speaks of the highest spiritual truth but after the realization when you come back 
like a vigyani, as Sri Ramakrishna used to coin that, he's coined that term, vigyani. Jnana is to realization, jnana is to realization. You go to that state, why this viveka, vichara, that renouncing the untruth and realizing the truth, getting identified with the truth, Brahma Satya, Jagat Mithya, this is a vichara, the Brahman alone is real, the world is illusory. With this, when you go to that realization, you come back, you come back as a vijnana. That's what's the vijnana? That this is, this is a thing which I am saying as unreal is actually the way I see it is of course unreal. But it's what I am seeing is not actually uh, the thing uh, which is the absolute truth. The absolute truth is appearing as this world. It is a superimposition. It is a mere projection. So I see the God behind the universe. So that's the state of the Vijnani. The world falls off for me. I see the divine and divine alone. So all the things become the play of the divine. It becomes the play of the divine. So there is nothing to mourn, nothing to be sad about, nothing to mourn for. So everything becomes delightful. That's the thing which that parody speaks of. So Ramakrishna is also indicating that, that once you go to that realization, now you come back as a Vijnani. So then the same word which was appearing as something which has to be rejected because it was a mere illusion. Now that becomes a projection of the divine and divine alone. So, but it happens only after the realization. Before that, we do have to practice all the spiritual disciplines where the discrimination and dispassion is the most important factor in a spiritual life. That one's that's what Sri Ramakrishna will be indicating in the next line. But one cannot be a king Janaka all of a sudden. Janaka at first practiced much austerity in solitude. Even if one lives in the world, one must go into solitude now and then. It will be of great help to a man if he goes away from his family, lives alone and weeps for God even for three days. Even if he thinks of God for one day in solitude, when he has the laser, that too will do him good. People shed a whole jug of tears for wife and children, but who cries for the Lord? Now and then one must go into solitude and practice spiritual discipline to realize God. This is a very important thing. Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. We feel in this life that our spiritual practice is as, is as if of no avail. I don't see any change in my way of life. There's no transformation as if. And we doubt our spiritual practices. But here Sri Ramakrishna is saying that even if he thinks of God just for one day in solitude, when he has the laser, that too will do him good. Why? That you will find that in Yoga Sutra, we studied the transformation of the mind, Pradinama. There are three states of mind, Sarvarthata, Ekagrata, Nirodha. Sarvarthata, the present state of mind, the monkey state of mind, full of distractions. If I try to concentrate, be ekagra, be one-pointed, I find that my sarvarthata, which is 
which fills my subconscious mind that pops up and breaks my one-pointedness. And I find it is almost impossible to have this one-pointed focus because my mind is so distracted. But one thing I forget, what's the thing I forget? That how all those distractions have entered my mind and is now saturating my subconscious mind. That once in this life or in the previous life, I must have thought them consciously. Whatever I think consciously is never lost. It's just stored. It's just saved and stored in the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind, the chitta is the storehouse of all those impressions. It is all stored up. Anything you do, immediately it gets saved. It gets stored there. And that's the, from the subconscious mind, they're constantly popping up. If our mind is like a lake, then the, the surface of the lake gets agitated in two ways. What are the ways? If I paint a stone on it, it will break into ripples. That's the one way. Any external, from the external world, I paint a stone, it breaks into ripples. That's one way the surface gets disturbed. The other way is from the bottom, the bubbles are coming up, the air bubbles are coming up. When they come to the surface, they burst. That also, again, disturbs the surface of the water. The surface of the water is like the conscious mind. The subconscious mind is the bottom from where all those bubbles are emerging. The bubbles are coming up. And all the pelting of the stones are all the interactions with this external world. So our mind is getting agitated by this both. The external world is disturbing and whatever is already stored, they're coming up as this bubble and disturbing my mind. So sometimes our conscious attempt is too weak compared to the subconscious mind. They're so strong, they're constantly bubbling up. So my attempt to focus my mind is, I find is almost futile. All the distractions, distractive thoughts come and break my concentration. And I find that concentration is of no avail. But I forget that each and every conscious attempt of whatever I do is not lost. It goes and gradually gets settled in my subconscious mind. So even if apparently there is no transformation with all my practices, knowing for certain the transformation is going on, each and every conscious attempt is going and settling down in the subconscious mind. And the more they start saturating the subconscious mind, they wash off, they cleanse all the distractions. It's a matter of time, it is not noticeable but it is happening. Each and every conscious attempt is cleansing the mind. So though I fell, again I try. So a time comes when the mind cleanses of all the distracted thought and it becomes naturally, spontaneously ekagra. The example when we were studying the Yoga Sutra, we gave that a cup full of impure water, turgid water, full of impurities, but it's full to the brim. Now if I pour pure water into it, as the cup was already full to the brim, this cup starts spilling off. All the turgid content starts spilling off. The turgidity gets diluted more and more. And the contents of turgidity is reducing, it is getting washed off. A time will come when all the turgidity is washed off. The cup is full of pure water. That's the ekagra strength. 
When your mind becomes ekagra, that will lead to the nirodha. We need not go to the discussion for that now, but you will understand that why Sri Ramakrishna is saying that even for a day, in solitude, if you think of God, good, if you think of God, know it for certain that it is going to do you good. Because that's the sanskar which you are creating, though it is not noticed. The example which we give, a coarse rock, a coarse piece of stone with a rough surface, which is lying on the river bed, the river current the, is flowing over it. At any point of time, there is no change. But in a hundred years, you will find that the coarse rock has become smooth. How it has happened? It has become a smooth pebble. There's something soft like water when constantly goes on flowing over the rock surface, something hard like the rock. Gradually, it gets smoothened. All the angularities are get smoothened. That happens, the same thing happens with the mind. However, strong the subconscious mind may appear to be with all these distractions. Know it for certain. Each and every atom is smoothening it, is removing its angularities. So that's why even for a day, the practice is good. Don't think that practice is of no avail and just simply leave it off. Whenever the time permits, resort to the practice. It is creating sanskara, whether I understand it or not. That's why Swami used to say that the three P, purity, patience, and perseverance are, is the be all and end all of our spiritual journey. That each and every attempt to keep my mind pure, keep my mind in the thought of God, speaks of the purity. But it's not easy. Again and again, it goes back to the distraction. I have to have patience. And I have to persevere, I have to go on practicing again and again. With my repeated failure, again I try, again and try. The more I try, the more this sanskara is forming, the more it is saturating my subconscious mind at the cost of all the distractions. They are getting washed off. And that's how the mind becomes pure. So even a little practice, know it for certain, is good. And then Sri Ramakrishna is saying, people shed a whole jug of tears for wife and children. But who cries for the Lord? So not only mere repetition of the Lord's name, to be in the solitude, really try to feel for God, yearn for him. That is more important. As in the Yoga Sutra, they say that two things. One is the repetition is very important. And another is how intensely you are uh, focused to the thing which you are repeating. As in the Yoga Sutra, the Sutra, Tivra Samveganam Asana. That when it has been spoken of that you go on repeating. That go on. And then naturally the question comes that how long I have to do it? So there is no fixed time. It depends again on the intensity. How much intensely you are doing. If you, you will find that when I do anything intensely, that creates a deep mark in my mind. I never forget it. Let's give an example. Suppose I was driving and I was about to have a head-on collision. The entire thing you will find in your memory has become a slow motion. You will never in your life will forget that what all happened at that moment. Everything, in details, everything you will remember. Why? Because of that crisis of the danger, your mind got extremely focused. And as your mind got extremely focused, all the things which was happening in that moment got 
imprinted in your mind. Till as long as you live, even at the moment of death, you will fall, you will find so many things you have forgot, but you never forget that. So when the whatever you think intensely, for that repetition is also not required. It gets imprinted instantly. So that's why yearning is very important, not only mere this repetition. Going to the solitude with earnestness, knowing very that from where that intensity comes, from the sense of necessity. The focus comes from the sense of necessity. Whenever you have a sense of necessity, immediately you find you have developed a focus. So when we know for certain that this life is not going to give us any fulfillment, it's only by being established in our spiritual identity, we can get the ultimate fulfillment. If that is a necessity, then the focus is bound to come. And if that focus comes, that yearning comes, that yearning which Ramakrishna is, com is comparing with our love for the wife and children, that we shed whole jug of tears for wife and children, how much do we cry for God? If we can really cry, know it for certain, that realization is just waiting for you. He used to say that yearning is like, Sri Ramakrishna's word is, it is just like the red hue of the dawn. In the dawn, in the early morning, when the sun is yet to be seen, the sun hasn't risen, the, the sun is yet to rise. But I first see that red hue. It has just permeated the entire sky. And I know it's just a matter of minutes, the sun will be visible. So Ramakrishna used to say that yearning is like the red hue of the dawn. When it is there, know it for certain that your realization is just waiting for you. It's just a matter of few moments. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying that yearn for God. Now and then one must go into the solitude and practice spiritual discipline to realize God living in the world and entangled in many of its duties. The aspirant during the first stage of spiritual life finds many obstacles in the path of concentration. So of course, as I'm already attached in my mind, all the desires are very strong. A little, a little flash can just get converted into a huge fire, bonfire, just a small flash. So all those worldly objects are the thing which is the suggestion which can immediately inflame my all the desires because they're so strong in my mind. So first I have to starve them for some time. So I have to be detached. So when I am just a small sapling as per my spiritual journey is concerned, I, I am, it is a must that I should have that fencing. I have to detach because the worldly disasters are strong in me. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna, at the initial stage Sri Ramakrishna is saying that, that to a certain extent that distancing yourself from the worldly way of life is essential. So living in the world and entangled in many of its duties, the aspirant during the first stage of the first, this first stage is very important. The initial stage of spiritual life finds many obstacles in the path of concentration. While the trees on the footpath, footpath are young, they must be fenced around. Otherwise, they will be destroyed by cattle. The fence is necessary when the tree is young, but it can be taken away when the trunk is thick and strong. This is important. That yes, at the beginning stage, that all those fencing, all those do's and don'ts, 
find that bounding myself with all those rigorous discipline is necessary, but I have to outgrow them. A time should come when the word, I'm constantly interacting with the word, but I in no way get affected by it because I've transcended, I've got spiritually strong, I've developed a detachment. So that's why Swami Vivekananda used to say that it is good to be born in a church, but it is horrible to die there. If throughout my life, I'm, I have just, I bind, I bind myself with all those rigorous discipline that shows that the sapling hasn't grown. It still needs that fencing, means it hasn't grown. So that's why it is horrible to die. At the beginning, the church, church doesn't mean only a particular religion. It means any organized religious body. At the beginning, those organized religious body do help us with all its rigorous discipline, but we have to outgrow them. And once through the spiritual realization, we outgrow them, then they cannot affect me. Now I have become like a very strong, thick, strong trunk. Then the tree won't be hurt even if an elephant is tied to it. So even if you are exposed to this worldly way of living, nothing can affect you because you have already been transformed. Your personality has been overhauled because of the spiritual realization. Once you have realized that the, in the desert, what you see as water is not water, it is just a mirage. It, has, it loses the power to drag you. No more it can drag you. So once you go to that realization, then though you are in the desert, though you are walking through the desert, you are thirsty, you're seeing that reservoir, but it has lost the power to drag you. So though you're interacting with the world, you know where for, where for certain, because you have already went to the realization that it is a mere projection. It in no way can affect you. You have transcended the windings of the nature. So that's the thing Mr. Ramakrishna is indicating. At the beginning, of course, all those seclusion, the solitude is very important, but as we outgrow, they fall off naturally. The disease of worldliness is like typhoid. And there are a huge jug of water and a jug, and a jug of savory pickles in the typhoid patient's room. If you want to cure him of his illness, you must remove him from that room. The worldly man is like the typhoid patient. The various objects of enjoyment are the huge jug of water and the craving for their enjoyment is his thirst. The very thought of pickles make the mouth water. You don't have to bring them near and he's surrounded with them. The companionship of woman is the pickles. Hence treatment in solitude is essential. So he's giving the example of the typhoid patient. So the typhoid patient this, somehow this develops this, uh, this, has a tremendous thirst. So in the olden days, the, uh, the, as per the Ayurvedic treatment, the Kaviraja used to say that he shouldn't be uh, allowed to drink water. The more he drinks water, the more his disease gets worse. But at the same time, he has that tremendous thirst, the urge to drink. So it has to be forced because though he has the urge to drink water, but that water is harmful for him. So in no, if water is near him, no one can stop him from drinking. So he has to be kept away from water. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. 
that we that worldly worldliness is just like the typhoid. So at the beginning, so we have to be separated from it. Otherwise, we cannot help ourselves. We, we are bound to get entangled in it. That we like we may say that I have become King Janaka. Uh, and nothing affects me. And know it for certain, I will be deceiving myself. I will find that though apparently it appears my mind is not affected, I find that, uh, that within no time that I am being affected, there's a tsunami in my mind. It just simply uh, washes me off. So be detached at the beginning till you go to that realization. Then they fall off. They can in no way harm you. One may enter the world after attaining discrimination and dispassion. In the ocean of world, there are six alligators, lust, anger, and so forth. So they say of six, the six enemies that has been spoken of as the six alligators, six alligators. When you're in the water, alligator is your enemy. It is going to devour you. So in the river of this world of worldliness, there are six alligators that is going to devour us, destroy us. What are they? Kama, Krodha, Loha, Moha, Mother, Matsarya. So these are the six alligators, six enemies. What are they? The Kama, the desire. Because of ignorance, the desire comes. What the desire? That as I think myself to be separate from the universe, universe as a segregate segregated unit separated from the universe. And the universe is out there to satiate me, to satisfy me, to fulfill me. So this limited sense of individuality makes me desire. From the desire, if the desire gets obscured, somehow obstructed, it finds expression as krodha. And what I desire, if anyone comes on the way, I get terribly angry on him. Anger is always because of the obstruction of the desire. So from karma comes krodha. And if there is no obstruction of the desire, if I can resort to the, I can just resort to my object of desire again and again, I can relish, then the another enemy comes, that is lobha. I develop greed. From desire, if it is obscured, develops krodha, anger. If it is not obscured, if you get favorable circumstances, you develop greed. You're never satiated. You just go on. You just have a tendency to have it again more and more. That speaks of the greed. That speaks of obsession. From the greed comes moha. Whenever you are, you have developed a greed, you have developed an obsession to enjoy something again and again, that thing becomes something most beautiful thing for, for you uh, in your life. What is the moha? That we all have positivities and the negativities. But we will find that the beginning of life, when we there's the, a, a human being falls in love for another human being, a sort of infatuation develops. What's that? Oh, he or she is the angel. All the things which I think of is godly, divine in him. What the, why that infatuation comes? That karma has got converted into lobha, the object of the desire you want to enjoy again and again. 
whatever it may be, food, relations is well. And from there, what happens? Your mind gets clouded. Everything appears to be good. That's Moha speaks of that infatuation, the clouding of the intellect because of obsessive greed. And from that again comes mother, because you have won the rat race. If you win the rat race of life, what I enjoy, others cannot enjoy. So I am the one who is more capable. From that, a vain pride develops, mother. And if I cannot win in that rat race, then that envy develops, matsarya. So these are the six. The origin is the ignorance. From where comes karma? From karma, this takes two course, either krodha or lobha. This both krodha and lobha can result in moha, infatuation. When I am angry with someone, I just see all the negativities in him. The positivities gets clouded. That's that's also a type of moha. And if I am in love with someone. All the negativities gets clouded. Only see, I see only the positive side of of that personality. That also is a moha. Is a clouding of intellect, and that results in this. And whenever I have, incapable of winning the rat race. In this life, the resources are limited. We are all in the having this rat race. So if I win somehow, I develop that mother that no one is greater than me. That pride. From all this pride comes exploitation. And if I don't get, then I can never just bear the prosperity of others. From that, that envy comes, that matsarya. So these are the six alligators which Sri Ramakrishna is speaking of. That one may enter the world after discrimination, dispassion. In the world of, in the ocean of the world, there are six alligators. So this karma, this lust, anger, and so on. But you need not fear the alligators. If you smear your body with this turmeric, turmeric before you go into the water, so there's an idea that it's the I don't know how much correct it is. The idea is that if you smear your body with turmeric, so when they used to uh, when the uh, in the uh, in Indian tradition, even still in the villages, we find that before taking bath. They will mix uh, the turmeric in oil, and with that they will smear their body. They say that if you have smeared your body with the oil mixed with turmeric, the smell of the turmeric won't is something repelling for the alligators. They won't come near you. That's what they say. We don't know how whether it's fact or not. So, but you need not fear the alligators. If you smear your body with the turmeric before you go into the water, so what is the turmeric in the spiritual life? Discrimination and dispassion are the turmeric. Discrimination is the knowledge of what is real and what is unreal. So, very at the very beginning, if the question of desire doesn't come, the other six, uh, other five en en enemies, this krodha, lobha, mother, moha, matsarya, they they are they bound to fall off. They are bound to fall off, and the desire comes from the wrong notion that this. World is out there, separate from me. I have to enjoy it. If you become one with the divine, then this world, which is just a mere projection, you can no way attach to it. So, it is the realization of God alone. It is the realization that God alone is real and eternal. So, this this knowledge alone, uh, the discrimination, is the knowledge of what is real and what is unreal. 
it is the realization that God alone is real and eternal substance and that all else is unreal, transitory, impermanent. So these are the turmeric that will repel the six alligators and you must cultivate intense zeal for God. You must feel love for him and be attracted to him. The gopis of Vrindavan felt the attraction of Krishna. So it is this attraction, whether the Sri Ramakrishna next will be indicating that whether you believe in Krishna as a historical figure or not, you may think it's an imaginary, it doesn't matter. In spiritual life, whether Krishna was historical or not, in no way it is going to affect our spiritual journey. Because even if I take it as a metaphor, the love which Radha had for Krishna, if I can somehow identify myself with Radha and try to inculcate that type of love, my speech, my, my, I will be spiritually benefited. So the question of the that whether Krishna is a historical figure or not, a real spiritual, a, what you say, the, a, a spiritually uh, aspiring soul, an aspirant is never bothered about it. With full faith, he believes in Krishna. He believes in the, the episodes of the Krishna's life, the gopis of Vrindavan, the attraction they felt, and he wants to identify with the gopis, the way they used to love Krishna. And that's how they want to get spiritually benefited. That's the thing Sri Ramakrishna will be indicating in his discussion, which is going to follow. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is saying, that have that intense love for God. Try to feel that attraction. So once you can feel that, know it for certain, that as we were saying, that the it's just like the red hue of the dawn. The realization is just waiting for you. So with this, we stop our discussion today. So this is the thing which Sri Ramakrishna is speaking of again and again. What he's speaking is actually from his own realization. Though he had many gurus, but his spiritual journey started with yearning and yearning alone. He had a tremendous yearning that the very, as a young boy, the question came that whether it is just a mere stone image, is Mrinmai, or is he is the God is consciousness and consciousness alone. That there is a consciousness which is being worshipped in the form of the deity which I am just worshipping in the form of Mother Kali. From the very beginning, we find that he's asking again and again, is it just a mere image of stone or is she Chinmai? And that is giving him tremendous earnestness that if you're real, you have to give me vision. So in his own life, he went to the realization, the portal of spiritual uh, gamut, not only one realization, the entire spiritual gamut opened up, opened up for him. That the, one of the authors of Sri Ramakrishna's life very nicely have indicated that Ramakrishna was a spiritual glutton, a tremendous hunger to realize God in its varied aspects. It is because of that yearning that all the portals of the spiritual world opened up for him. So it is from his own realization he's saying all these words. It's not just mere referring from referring to the scriptures. He's speaking out his own life. That if that 
tremendous yearning. The gopis of Vrindavan, the way they felt for the attraction for Krishna. If you can feel that way, know it for certain that you are bound to be illumined here and now in this very life. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. So we will continue with the discussion again in the next class. So after this, to substantiate, to reinstate his uh, the words, he will be singing a song. The song we will be again discussing in the next class. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar.